Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Keep saying, or I have been saying and suggesting, that some people out there are not listening to the health experts like our Dr. Rusin here in Manitoba when it comes to the fundamentals. Wash your hands, social or physically distance, and wear a mask. But you, you're you not so sure that's the case. You're not so sure that people are not listening. Yeah, well, listen, I'm not willing to concede that expertise is the issue here. In fact, I think that it can be the solution. Um, in a recent report, a recent report found that uh, 83% of uh, the public is likely to believe scientific evidence that comes from a doctor or a nurse. And only about 55% said that they trust scientific evidence uh, when it comes from a, a government source. Um, so, so what is the issue at hand? Uh, before answering that, if, if you don't mind, um, mm. it's important to note uh, here that there's not a single catch-all answer to the question that you posed. But uh, if you'll let me weigh in, I'll, I'll do so. Yes, go ahead. Yeah. So listen, we all live very busy lives. The pandemic can make life even more hectic. I now have to balance working a full-time job from home with homeschooling my six-year-old through grade one and fielding a CJOB interview request. It's tough. Well, perhaps not the CJOB uh, CJOB part. But um, (laughs) as, as such, I often don't have the mental energy to listen attentively to every message I get and weigh uh, its merits, whether it be about COVID or other life domains. And even when not preoccupied, often people are not motivated to listen to the content of the message they receive, even if it will benefit them. Hmm. And I had a thought, too, uh, when I started the show with this, I got several text messages and emails from people talking about some of the crazy conspiracy theories uh, that they've heard that their friends use as arguments for not following those fundamentals. And I thought, you know, it is a new virus. Certainly we've learned more about the virus as we've gone along, and so some of the information has changed. The messaging at times has been confusing, even from the experts. And then, you know, we've got everything that happens online. And I wonder if a lot of the confusion in these conspiracy theories cause people to go, I don't believe any of it, so I'm going to do my own thing. Um, yeah, definitely that, that, that can be the case. And this is where the social and behavioral sciences come into play. Uh, because the crisis requires large-scale behavior change and places significant psychological burden on individuals that may lead them down a path of, say, uh, believing a conspiracy theories, insights from the social and behavioral sciences can be used to help align human behavior with the recommendations of epidemiologists and public health experts. Um, and if you recall, uh, you know, I, I mentioned that often we are not motivated to listen to the messages um, from public health experts. So to persuade people in such situations, you need to use cues that are not based on perhaps the strength or importance of the message. And so I'll pose a question to you, Hal. Do you trust Elmo? Well, <laughs> I guess if I was eight, maybe I, I would. 
Well, um, you know, if you listen to Elmo even right now on TV, do you think that Elmo would still steer you wrong? Probably not, no. Pro- probably not. And is Elmo an expert on public health? Um, no. So why is, for example, CNN putting Sesame Street characters on to implore people to wear masks? Hmm. The, at the heart of it is about trust. Right? Who do we trust? Who do we not trust? And so to advance the advice of public health experts, we need to find trusted voices from various communities, whether it be religious, cultural, athletic, and have them share the public health messages with the communities that find those voices credible. Yeah, um, and that's the research, and, and that's the research you've done, and that's that is the secret sauce here, in your opinion, that we need to get the message out there, but the message needs to come, yeah, sure, from health officials and and politicians, but also from people in our communities that are trusted. Precisely, and those leaders, and of course, the media also plays a role that they should promote or nudge cooperative behavior by emphasizing that cooperation is the right thing to do and that the key here is to say that most people are cooperating right so if you're not going to uh, uh if you're not motivated or have the mental energy to process the science about uh, mask wearing then what we can do is try to nudge people's behavior by using norms of pro-social behavior and one way to do that is to have trusted figures uh, deliver the message, uh, use cues of social norms that most people are cooperating. Leaders might express that the overwhelming majority of people in our community are wearing masks in public without necessarily weighing into the science that we know that masks work and why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've, I think I've been pretty good about saying that, that, you know, it's some people out there, a very small minority, I think, that are, are maybe not wearing a mask when they should and, and doing some of this other stuff. Listen, as a person who's been on the radio, uh, on TV and in newspapers here in Winnipeg and Manitoba for over 30 years, I feel a responsibility to make sure that I get that message out there and I take some heat from some people, but I think it's important that I uh, try and get the right message out there to people because I would hope that I'm a trusted figure uh, in the community, and and you mentioned the media plays a role too. Precisely, precisely. So uh, what you can do is is to, to tell the public, tell your listeners that wearing a mask is important, uh, you know, for, for some people, the message, they are, they are motivated to listen to the message so you can speak about the science. Other people may not be as motivated to listen to the message. Instead, they're going to focus on the messenger, i.e. you, right? So by, by telling people to wear a mask, to tell the community, yes, the overwhelming majority of people in our community are wearing uh, masks. That's important as opposed to uh, telling the public about who's not wearing masks and and why they're not wearing masks. I think we need to focus uh, on some positive messaging and uh, show uh, the the residents of, of Winnipeg and Manitoba that the vast majority of Manitobans are following uh, the public health advice, and that will go a long way. Dr. Wall, some really good stuff. I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Dr. Michael Wall is a professor and graduate chair at the Department of Psychology at Carleton University and 
a former Winnipegger with an old Solani fridge magnet on his fridge. Well, you heard the, I'll call them shocking numbers again today, on the COVID-19 front, 147 new cases, 114 here in Winnipeg, two more people dead, a woman in her 70s, a man in his 80s, the death toll now is at 37, and the positivity rate 4.4%, 1,374 active cases. Dr. Jason Kindrachuk joins us now, Assistant Professor and Canadian Research Chair of Medical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases at the U of M, University of Manitoba. Uh, Jason, good afternoon. Thanks for having me on, Hal. Well, I enjoy having you on, and I appreciate your expertise in this area. Uh, And when I see numbers like today, I'm really glad you're on the show. I I wish we were talking about something else, Um, but uh, these numbers are shocking, aren't they? They are, and and I think the unfortunate aspect is, you know, we've seen the trend growing probably the the last few weeks, uh, and and certainly over the the, the weekend, Um, but but it is obviously a clear and and present signal that uh, we, we are going in the wrong direction very precipitously. Now, we talked at the end of last week, and you said, give it a bit more time. Uh, You're fairly confident the numbers will start to come down. Um, Are you still feeling that way, or or are you worried, uh, as I am, and I'm not an expert, you are, you tell me, I'm I'm worried that we're not going to see a drop in the numbers. Uh, I hit my tipping point, I think, at the start of, uh, of the weekend, to be honest with you now. Well, once we started to see, I mean, obviously, we're seeing fatalities that are increasing, um, but the, just the, the drastic increase in, in both cases, as well as the case positivity rate in Winnipeg, is, is startling. And, and I'm, I think I'm well beyond that idea now that we're going to get this under control in a, a short amount of time. It's going to take, I think, a, a pretty heavy hand on behalf of us, as well as our, uh, our public health partners, to, to try and get this under control. Well, and Dr. Rusin said yesterday uh, they've kind of reached the wall on measures that they can take. Yeah, I, I, you know, and I agree, and I, I, I can hear his frustration, and I, I feel his frustration. Um, the, the unfortunate aspect is, you know, we, we've been watching this kind of build up through Quebec and Ontario, and I think we had some indication um, of where, you know, we might start to see transmission increasing and where things could spiral out of control. Um, and obviously hindsight's always twenty twenty. We're, we're going to learn from this. Um, but but we, we need to make some drastic measures. And I think there are some very tough decisions that are being probably made or, or at least very heavily discussed behind closed doors today. Would it be like, again, a lockdown or a, or a shutdown? Would that be the next move? Is there anything, uh, is there any slack left for officials here? Well, you know, I got the sense from, from what Dr. Rosen had said that, you know, we're, we're beyond being able to do the targeted shutdowns. And, and I think when you look at the, the overall spread in Winnipeg and as well, not being able to localize it to any one particular uh, area or, or even, you know, a, a few small areas, it's kind of like a wildfire that's gotten out of control. So I think we, we have to start thinking about, you know, which areas um, we, we see a lot of transmission, you know, obviously, you know, restaurants, bars and, and gyms, those kinds of areas in, in Ontario and Quebec got closed down. We're probably not far behind that, at least, in, you know, from from the aspect of, and the inside of a virologist. Yeah. Gee, I was worried you were going to say that. I, I really had a I had a bad feeling yesterday when I saw the numbers. Yeah. And then today I, I just thought, oh, this is this is not good. I'm curious to know, because when I'm out and I'm not out a lot, but when I am out, I see a lot of masks. I see most people doing what they're supposed to do. And I understand there's a 
portion of the population out there that's not, because I hear about it. Um, but I wonder, we talked about the twindemic, right? The flu and the time of year and COVID-19 last week when we talked. How much of it is just the time of year, the weather's getting colder, and we're all spending more time indoors? Well, I, th- I think it's all it's all kind of hand in hand, right? I mean, the, the number of variables uh, that, that you kind of throw at this for, for the reasoning behind why the cases are increasing are, are pretty extensive. And, and I think the biggest thing is we're spending more time indoors. Um, we, we you know had a pretty good summertime, so it's been tough to get people away from that mindset. And we know that masks alone are not going to be protective. We still have to keep distancing, and we have to be in well-ventilated areas, you know, but primarily outside. So you take all those things hand in hand, uh, and obviously the you know the, the new season coming in, um, it's kind of been a, a recipe not for disaster, but that's been setting us on this path. You know, I, I had a professor on, Professor uh, Dr. Michael Wall from Carleton uh, University, who is a former Winnipegger, and mm-hmm. we were talking about how do we get the message, you know, Dr. Rusin's fundamentals, how do we get that message out there to some people that maybe aren't following uh, the fundamentals. Any, any ideas on that? Is is there anything that I have failed or others here at CGOB have failed to ask you about over the past several months uh, Jason, that we might be able to try, or or anything that you've heard that you think there might be some hope. I, I, I mean, I don't, I really don't want to paint this as. Uh, but listen, two more people are dead, thirty-seven dead, one hundred and forty-seven yeah. new cases today, one hundred and fourteen in Winnipeg. I mean, this this is not good. Anything at all that you can uh, give to us here to to give us a bit of hope that things won't continue to be this bad. Well, the, the hope is, is really is that we can make decisions as, as individuals, obviously, to do our part starting today and, and understanding that it's not going to change the numbers tomorrow. It'll change the numbers uh, within you know, 10 days from now or two weeks from now. But we have to be ready to persevere. And, and listen, we're, we're Canadians. We've, we've done this so many times before in our history. This is part of our, our blood and our nature. Um, we just have to have the fortitude to do it. And obviously, we need our, our public health partners providing us guidance. Um, but we need to be watching out for each other. And, and when you know, we see family members or friends that aren't doing the right thing, th- this is the time to step in and, and really champion this message so we can get through it as quickly as possible. Hey, Jason, as I said earlier uh, before you came on, we're really glad to have access to you. And, again, really appreciate your time, especially on an important day like today with the numbers, again, rising. And, and it doesn't seem as though, uh, let's hope, but it doesn't seem like they're going to go down uh, anytime soon. But thank you. Thank you, Hal, for, for continuing to give the messaging that you are. We we all appreciate it. Thanks, Dr. Dr. Jason Kinderchuk, Assistant Prof, Canadian Research Chair, Medical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases at the U of M. Sometimes I, you know, when we do the show, I, I, I'll sometimes say something because, you know, I worry as an individual, as a person, and I'll say something, and then, you know, I'll get a text message, and somebody will say, whoa, tone it down a bit. And I sometimes think, oh, am I letting my own personal, you know, feelings get too involved? And listen, that's what I am. I'm I'm an opinion guy. I'm paid to have an opinion. I come on and share my opinion and, and listen to yours, and we discuss them. But it was not uh, what I wanted to hear today from Dr. Jason Kindrichuk. Right now, some good news with Scott Oak, the founder of the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. Scott, good afternoon. Hello, Hal. How are you doing? Thank you very much for doing this. I'm great. And I guess you got a smile on your face today, eh? Another half million dollars? Yeah, it was very generous of PayWorks to uh, make that commitment. And in fact, it works out to more than half a million dollars because there are three partners in that business and uh, a couple of 
of them have also made personal contributions. So it's well in excess of $500,000. And I think it underlines that PayWorks is a, is a, one of our more compassionate corporate citizens. And over halfway done, and uh, what are you at, 95% uh, uh, for fundraising now, something like that, right? We set a target in our capital fundraising campaign of $16 million. We raised 10 in a, about 10 months, and uh, we're now at about $15 million. So we have just a little bit of work to go to complete uh, this capital fundraising campaign. And when it's done, and we hope it will be soon, that uh, we will then turn our attention to a capital campaign to take care of operating costs. When all this began, when your family took this on, and, and it's impressive, it really is, Scott, that your your family took this on uh, for Bruce and, and that you're doing it for the community. Are you blown away at the response? Completely and totally, every day, uh, whenever Anne, I, Darcy, or, and I should point out, it's not just our family. We have a very competent and hardworking board of directors in the Bruce Oak Memorial Foundation who put a lot of time and effort into this project. But every time any of us, our family and those other directors, uh, visit the Bruce Oak Recovery Center to see what progress uh, we've made with respect to construction, we are all overwhelmed. Uh, you're right. This is for the community. It's also uh, good for our hearts because it, uh, you know, we're making Bruce's life mean something. But our ultimate goal is to help ensure that what we went through, other families will not have to experience. Yeah. It did begin, though, as a family hope and dream, I'm sure, at some point early on. Um, what would Bruce say if he were here today? Um, I think he'd be pretty happy to see his name in lights. You know, when you go to the Bruce Oak Recovery Center site, there's two huge signs there that say future home of the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. And Bruce's picture is figured prominently. He was, uh, he, Bruce was a, was a, a bright young man, a uh, good looking man too. And when we see his picture on, on those, uh, those signs and in other, you know, areas of publicity to do with the Bruce Oak Recovery Center, we're, we're, we're just reminded of what a beautiful boy he was. COVID has not slowed down the fundraising. It has not slowed down the work on the center. You're ahead of schedule, right? Spring, it should open. Our original opening date was forecast to be the fall of uh, 21. And, but uh, construction hasn't lost any time at all. Boxdall, our general contractor, is doing a wonderful job. In fact, we've gained some time along the way. And so uh, we've now revised our opening date to May of 21. And if we're lucky, Pardon me. It may even be earlier than that. So we're we're talking about uh, six, seven, eight months away at the most. Fantastic. Hey, before I let you go, we're almost out of time, but I, I got to ask you: Have you been Have you been watching any of the sports at all? We've been talking about that for a few days now. How it seems like not a lot of people are, or a lot of people that were big sports fans don't seem as interested in it uh, uh, of late. Is there any truth to that? Have you been watching any of the sports? And and maybe you want to weigh in on CJOB being the home of the Winnipeg Jets on the radio again? Yeah. I was really uh, surprised at the news because I didn't see it coming. Uh, but I uh, first call I made was to uh, my longtime and good friend Bob Irving to say, "Tell me the story. Tell me how it happened." And uh, we had uh, we had a few moments where we, uh, you know, we had a few laughs about it. Not, but it's serious business, of course. But it's good to see you back on CGOB, obviously. And as for um, uh, your question about whether I'm watching sports, how I. I uh, 
watched as many and, and took part in the broadcast of as many as three hockey games a day when I was in the bubble in Edmonton during the Stanley Cup uh, playoff tournament. And so I'm taking a bit of a break right now. <laughs> so you've had your fill. Uh, for a short while. <laughs> for I'll a short while. Yeah. The NHL did kind of seem to get it right, though, eh, with the bubble? Well, they certainly did. They conducted about 35,000 tests, and uh, there wasn't one positive test. No one came down with COVID during uh, all the time in the bubble, 24 teams to start. Um, it was a very expensive proposition. It cost the NHL about a million dollars a day, were given to understand. So uh, they took every precaution. In my case, um, I had to... Uh, undergo three tests over five days before I could go into the bubble. And then when I got into it, I had to be quarantined for four days with a test every day. And I was tested every day that I was in the bubble thereafter. So uh, they they didn't take any chances whatsoever. And the end result was they got through it magnificently and uh, I guess set the standard for, for other sports. Now it remains to be seen how they will get the next season underway. Yeah. Hey, Scott, thanks a lot for this. I appreciate you chatting a bit of sports with me as well. But again, congratulations uh, on uh, Bruce's Recovery Center. It's it's fantastic news uh, for you, the Oak family, everybody involved, and of course, obviously, uh, for our community as well. Thank you, Hal. Appreciate you having me on. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.